Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. trauma spill from one generation to the next? That's a hot topic more therapists and their clients are talking about these days as they try to grapple with the overall state of mental health among today's younger generation. And it's not always the experience itself that's passed along, but the aftermath. It's the way a traumatic event left an impact, an imprint on a person's mind, body, and brain. It could be events as individual as abuse in one's childhood or as collective as colonization or slavery. And it can manifest itself in many different ways for people through depression and anxiety or addiction or other mental and physical health problems. The idea of generational trauma, which often starts with relatives who are dead and gone and then passed down to future great-grandchildren, well, it can be difficult to grasp. But with regular news of mass shootings, COVID deaths, police killings and climate disasters, it's been helpful for some to look back at past trauma in their families and learn more about its impact. So how can we start to end the cycle of trauma? We turn to a few experts to discuss. Dr. Naranjan Karnik is a professor of psychiatry and director of the Institute for Juvenile Research at University of Illinois, Chicago. And Amanda Senior is a licensed clinical counselor and manager of community engagement for Russia's Division of Community Behavioral Health. And Dr. Karnik started off by defining generational trauma. And it can be an injury that is physical, emotional, community, we, we now define it and, and use that term very broadly. And so it can be something as simple as a cut can be a trauma, but it can be as big as, you know, a, a mass casualty event. And um, when we think about generational trauma, we're really thinking about how trauma gets transmitted through different generations, through different years across time and space. Yeah. Do we know whether a particular traumatic experience can start a cycle of of generational trauma? Like, can we go ahead and just pinpoint and be like, aha, that was it? That's hard to do, I think. I think it's very hard to anticipate what would cause trauma. Sometimes we know that something is significant enough. I mean, even when we were in the midst of COVID, I think we knew COVID was exerting a traumatic effect on our society and our communities. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it can be very difficult. People, people sometimes have um, unexpected sources of trauma. Amanda, how can people recognize trauma that's been passed down? Like, like how can someone see a behavior of theirs and then say, oh, this is because of generational trauma? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really like um, Dr. Karnick's um, sort of framing of this as a as a cut or a wound, right? Because um, as we think about how trauma has been historically defined, and especially in the the DSM, um, it's often talked about as something that includes actual threatened death or, or violence. Um, but the way that we seem to talk about it now and contextualize it now is any situation or event where a person is 
unable to cope emotionally, right? So that may lead to feelings of helplessness, right? So we're not maybe talking about what we classically define as those big T's, right? So war or or violent in some ways, but even separation, divorce. And what happens when, when we experience those things, those cuts, those wounds that we begin to develop mm-hmm. are passed down to our progeny, our children or other um, individuals that we're interf- interfaced with, right? So what that may look like. Maybe there's increased feelings of mistrust, isolation, loneliness, right? We're starting to see that in in the younger generations, right? They may not have ever faced or dealt with a, a major trauma such as slavery, as you mentioned earlier, but we certainly feel the effects of that through that isolation or mistrust of others. Let's dig a little further, and I'd love to hear from you both on this because you have both worked with people facing their generational trauma. So tell us more about some examples of that. I'll stick with you first, Amanda. Yeah, I think about a a family that I I worked with recently where it was I, I learned through assessment and also through conversation with this individual that there was a historical trauma of sexual violence in this family. And what that looked like was the parent or even the grandparent who first experienced this trauma are now finding themselves struggling to be emotionally available to their child, right? Or maybe they're treating their child as a container for that trauma. And that may look like, um, you know, shortness with that young person, right? Or maybe I'm a bit angrier. Maybe I'm a bit distant or disconnected Mm -hmm. from my family or my youth, right? And then in turn, that child who's experiencing that disruption from their parent now may experience low self-esteem, maybe a bit of um, hypervigilance, right? Or maybe even, again, that mistrust or disconnect from their community as a result of that initial trauma. Dr. Karnick, tell us some examples that you've seen in your sessions. Yeah, as as you posed the question, Sasha, I was reminded of uh, a case that I had occasion to evaluate, which was uh, one of the victims of uh, uh, Father McCormick, the notorious case that happened here in Chicago, uh, one of the child sexual abuse cases that came out of the church. Right. And um, this young man, by the time I saw him, he was in his in his early, you know, I mean, 18, 19, I think it was when I evaluated him. And it, it really made me reflect on not only the the terrible trauma that he went through as as a victim of sexual abuse um, from a trusted figure, but also he he spoke about the community that he lived in and how traumatic it was to live there and and how he had gone to the church looking for refuge in a way and to escape that and you know was exposed and a victim of violence there and his only wish in the lawsuit that was filed um, was to get sufficient funds that he could leave Chicago and take his family away from here mm. to some other place that was safer. Escape the Yeah, scenery. so it, it really made me think about the multi-layered nature of trauma. Tell us how trauma can show up in us then. Are, are there common behaviors or, or patterns? I think if we look at our textbook and our guidance, right? There, there are um, things like re-experiencing and nightmares, um, you know, the, the, sim- the symptoms of post-traumatic stress, basically, a result of, of long-term, you know, or, or um, symptoms that come from a traumatic event. But I've also been thinking a little bit more about how trauma might be manifesting in some of the other disparities we see. 
So we know, for example, that um, you know minority communities in Chicago have really um, poor outcomes in terms of cardiovascular health and and stroke and disease. And I've been thinking to myself, is the part of that the result of long-term exposure to trauma? Because trauma puts us into a heightened state of arousal. Like we we yeah. we are on alert and looking for it. Um, mm. So those are some things that I've been thinking about. Amanda, can you talk about how it it manifests maybe differently for for people from different backgrounds? Yeah, and and I wanted to add um, what Dr. Karnick was sharing about that increase or that continuous state of hypoarousal, or even the opposite can happen, right? That hypoarousal, that low arousal states, what may show up as digestive uh, digestive issues, right? Um, And I think um, even as we talk about communal um, traumas or shared traumas, um, even across different cultures, we see a lot of these similar symptomologies and and um, outcomes, right? So I don't, although Dr. Karnick mentioned that it's a bit higher maybe in Black and African-American or even under-resourced communities, I think we see these effects of traumas across across all cultures, um, and especially here in America, um, as these traumas are multi-layered, right? They don't happen in a vacuum. They're not isolated. Um, So in addition to sexual violence or maybe even physical violence, right? We're also talking about poverty, um, access to healthy foods, um, just having an opportunity to um, take a moment to reset. You know, if you're a caregiver of a a family of 12 and then also you're a steward in your community, that's also added stress and traumas um, or living in a violent community, right? So all of these things play a role and play a part and what we um, see in those traumatic um, symptomologies. So is it possible, doctor, to stop or break cycles of generational trauma? And, and what would that take? Where do you start? It's a great question. And uh, the short answer is yes, I, I think there is. Um, so ideally, we want to remove the stressor, the, the trauma, the thing that is causing the trauma first, right? Because that's the the best situation which to start to heal Mm -hmm. but one of the ways that we want to try to break these cycles is because we know trauma impacts families so imagine a parent who's been through a lifetime of trauma if we look at our our neighborhoods and we look at what people go through and as both amanda and i've discussed you know people are subject to various types of abuse and violence right that impacts their parenting right that impacts the way they see and act with their children, perhaps. And, and that then can become a traumatic event for the child, right? So some of our interventions then are to try to help people learn better parenting skills, be able to, and that might involve them contending with their own past and their own history, right? And then learning how to, you know, take the next step forward differently, right? Um, so, so that becomes a way to try to disrupt these cycles, yeah, Amanda, you've talked about starting with ourselves when it comes to, to breaking these cycles. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I work with a lot of individuals. um, And so unfortunately, I don't get to work uh, with the family systems. And so it is a lot of work um, and challenging work, to be truthful, um, to work with individuals. But a lot of my focus over the last few years has been bringing individuals back to their bodies. Um, So as we we alluded to earlier, there's a lot of research that shows that trauma really impacts and rewires the way our brains function. Right. So that increase in um, cortisol or the changes in our ability to associate meaning or learning that is severely impacted. And so we actually have to start to become inward first before we start to sort of speak to this in what I call a top down approach. Right. So we're using our brain functioning a lot more to talk through these things. Really, we have to employ those coping mechanisms when we are maybe um, activated by a a stressor or activated by something in our environment that calls us back to those past difficult experiences. Yeah. We first then have to check in with our bodies. What is my body sensing right now? My body is telling me that I'm unsafe. Where in my body am I unsafe and how can I address that? Whether it's through stretching or deep breathing, um, yoga, maybe some some light movement or even just stepping outside and taking in fresh air. Right. So really becoming reconnected with our bodies first, because that's usually the first detector that, hey, something is not right here mm-hmm. and I'm feeling unsafe. And we have to really correct that first. Yeah. And then we have to have what could possibly be an uncomfortable conversation with with, with mm-hmm. family members. How can we have Dr. Karnick, a a productive conversation with family, parents, for instance, because a lot of times that's the dynamic, right? How How do we talk about generational trauma with them without making them feel like they're to blame for continuing that cycle? Well, uh, in my work, it's often been sitting down with the parents, often separate from the child, and having that discussion with them about how they were raised, how they, what they had experienced, what's in their past. And I found once people look at that clearly, they can often then see the connection to what is happening now. It, I think it becomes easier to accept if you understand that that you're a victim as much as, you know, you may be, you know, producing some of these effects in your household. And, mm-hmm. and often it makes sense to them, like, you know, well, this is the way I was disciplined by my parents, right? And, and that goes back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way back. Well, but we, we now have a choice to break that that cycle and to create a new set of options, right? And so, parents are often eager to do that. So you're, you're, t- you're talking with them separately, and then are you encouraging a, a group dialogue after that? or it, it depends on the children, and sometimes it depends on their age, whether the kids are ready to hear that, whether it's appropriate to share that. You know, sometimes if they have teenagers, it's a little bit easier to have some of those conversations because those, you know, older kids are a little bit better able to hear some of this. Yeah. With younger kids, you might not do that. You know, they, they, they aren't necessarily going to be part of that conversation. They will see the effects of the actions more than, more than you know, talking about it. I'm curious how the behaviors uh, or patterns that we learn because of this generational trauma, how can that impact our relationships with people outside of family? Because sometimes we bring it to our other relationships, our friendships, our romantic partnerships. Right. These are global effects. So I think they very much can affect all of those things. And, and they can frame the way we hear things, the way we react to things. And and I should say, Saja, I think if people do have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is one disorder that can result of trauma, um, 
we now have really good evidence-based treatments for people that have amazing effects. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Amanda's department at at Rush, as well as other places, you know, around the country are doing some really great groundbreaking work in that area. Uh, Amanda, let's let's talk more about that. Like, because kids, as we know, a lot of times they feel like they're at fault for things that have gone wrong, right? So, So how are kids talking to their family members about yeah. generational trauma? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And I agree with with Dr. Carmen's statement that of course this is this is age dependent. Um but I think one of the the insidious things, um and I, I, I use that strong word because it is um insidious things about trauma is that there's a lot of shame and secrecy involved uh, when we're talking and dealing with traumas, right? So that being able to speak truthfully and openly about the the traumas or the, the difficult uh, situations that we faced is one part or one component of having those um, that step to healing, but also approaching these conversations from a non-judgmental place, right? As you mentioned earlier, right? Avoiding that blame because we all are working under stressful conditions or mm-hmm. we're all living under stressful conditions. And we're just a lot of times our parents or our caregivers or those uh, ancestors before us were really operating out of a place of survival. And so how do we move from survival to now thriving or living? And a part of that is having those very honest and real conversations of, hey, this action actually hurt me, but I understand there's a place or there's a reason where that's come from. How can we now move forward together in this? Even though I now understand the context of why that decision was made, I also want to be upfront and honest on how that that action or how that behavior has also impacted me. Yeah. And how can we move forward together? Dr. Karnick, I mean, talk to us more about this. Uh, Amanda earlier mentioned, you know, us feeling this in our bodies, mm-hmm. right? The physiological impacts of trauma. I mean, we we know chronic stress can do a number on a person uh, in their lifetime. What about over generations? Right. We we does that get passed on too? We we don't have a great answer to that. We suspect so. Um, just because we've been on... talking so much about the impact on our mental health, right? But there's the physical aspect, right? And and I think this is an open question that we need to explore further. I mean, the research to date points in that direction. But as you can imagine, to do multi-generational research requires a lot of resources and a lot of time. But um, everything we understand about trauma says that it is it gets inscribed in our brain and our bodies. And we would suspect if we're transmitting it through generations that generations will not only pass that on through their behaviors, but they may internalize some of this um, in other ways. So you know, we see that some populations have higher average, you know, blood pressure or have greater risk of hypertension. And I'm beginning to wonder, is that because these communities have been under chronic stress for Mm. so long? Now, in the second half of this conversation, we focus on generational trauma that is collective within a community or society, even the world. Just think the recent COVID pandemic, for instance, Next, we explore how groups of people can experience the aftermath of trauma together. 
And for that, licensed clinical counselor Amanda Senor stayed with us to weigh in on this angle. And we also turned to V.L. Harrison, the author of the book Hood Healing, interviews with some of Chicago's most prolific voices in media and black culture. And V started us off by talking about what groups of people are more likely to pass down generational trauma. Definitely people that are the descendants of the African diaspora, people who are direct descendants of slavery, live in that trauma every single day. We don't realize it, but absolutely people of color um, and sometimes people who are usually on the spectrum of uh, either age group. You could be old, young, middle age, doesn't matter. So impact it. It's impacting everyone. Absolutely. What do you say then to, to people who think uh, major traumatic experiences that, that happened to our ancestors uh, things like you mentioned slavery, mm-hmm. uh, genocide, mm-hmm. colonization, that that shouldn't affect us now. Because I hear that <laughs> a lot. A whole lot, Sasha. You know, I was featured on Fox News a few years ago when, right when the book launched. And I remember going under the comments, really big mistake of the shared article. And you don't the read the video. comments. You don't read the comments. Now I know why the rappers say they don't read comments. It makes sense to me. So I made a mistake and went under the comments. And a whole lot of that was happening. You know, get over it, black people. This is hundreds of years later. And I think what people fail to realize, Sasha, is that it's a compounded situation that is literally handed down. You don't born, you get born and say, I want to be traumatized. It's literally circumstances that can't avoid you because it's a part of your interwoven family. So you can't get over it. It's an everyday part of your culture. And in order to get over it, we have to actually dissect it. And I don't think this country's done a good job doing that. Amanda, do you think it's a problem to leave generational trauma unchecked? Absolutely. Absolutely. As we we talked earlier about those wounds and how they're carried through generations, right? So even as I think about something that has been talked about at at many, many times, right, and especially here in in Chicago, the incidents of police violence, right? Now, I may not have experienced that firsthand, but vicariously, I've been exposed to it via videos or even the teachings from my parents very early on who've had their own encounters back in the late 60s and early 70s, right? So when you hear in certain families of, I got to have the talk with my child on how to behave uh, within, in the world or how to move in the world, that has a lasting effect on us, right? So it doesn't just stop with that singular event or even uh, compounding events uh, from individuals before us. It's passed down to us through those conversations, through those uh, lessons. And sometimes it's even nonverbal, right? Because we learn a lot through modeling. So even as we see how others are behaving um, in our communities or in our own families. We take lessons from that as well. You know, to your point a moment ago, V, I know personally African-American people who admittedly, when you meet them, they might come across right away as angry. For sure. And then the more stories that we hear about racial injustice against Mm -hmm. black people, Mm -hmm. Uh, about white people or or Karens Mm -hmm. bothering black people when they're simply minding their business in public spaces. Uh, About 10 situations like what we just saw, that massive brawl in Montgomery, Alabama, Mm -hmm. the more the anger sits with them. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me to get over it, you know, and I think to your question and to your point, if we are we are looking at Alabama and we are seeing these type of brawls that lets you know nothing has settled. You know, we are still there. And to think that a subset of people are going to continually allow you 
um, to not recognize their value in this country, a country that was built on our ancestors' backs. So how do you break that cycle? How do you begin? And is it up to us? It is absolutely up to us. I think we saw some of that breaking when people were fighting in Alabama, you know, and I'm not a person to promote violence, but I am not a MLK nonviolent person either, you know, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. And I think that black people are starting to realize that enough is enough. And I think white people should start realizing that. And I think that it's a very strong statement to make, very true, Sasha, but we are very much still in history. And to be told as a black journalist who is looking to change narrative in this city that we should just get over it is preposterous. I won't. I'm curious about uh, both of you, your own journeys with healing. What's it been like for you, Amanda? What's been challenging? You know, um, I think like many, uh, many people, it's challenging when those traumas or those um, barriers or those uh, those frauds are still existing within this society currently. Right. So it's very difficult to tell a person who is a descendant of slavery to get over it. That was so long ago when we still have remnants of slavery and Jim Crow, even in our legal system today. Right. Or even in our in the way that we um, conduct business with one another. Right. Those things are we still are impacted by that today. Um, I think my healing journey is one is being recognized, recognizing where those barriers are and where they still exist in our communities. Mm -hmm. But also, again, turning internally. Right. How can I control what's within my purview, starting with the body one? So I'm very, very heavy on breath work and making sure that I'm paying attention to my body when I'm feeling unsafe, whether in an environment or even in my own home, watching or scrolling on Instagram or scrolling on Facebook, um, seeing countless videos or seeing countless posts of others who may be angry. Sometimes it's, it's actually perfectly okay to take a moment to step away from some of those activating, um, you know, activating messaging, right? Because it becomes taxing, right? And as, as we mentioned earlier, over time, that leads to other health outcomes or other emotional outcomes. So really taking a moment to reset and pause. But I also want to be clear that not everyone may have that opportunity, right? Maybe they're in an, in an environment that's very violent, right? There's ripe with violence. And mm, so yeah. they may not be able to take a pause because it's actually unsafe to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But how can we find safety, whether it's in our own homes or even in a trusted place, right? How can we find safety in those places? Such great points. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to kick the same question over to you, V. I mean, your personal healing journey, mm -hmm. What have been some of the challenges or what's been empowering? You know, I'm learning, Sasha, to give people grace. And I find that when you grew up in a traumatic situation and when you didn't even realize it back then, it, it starts to to really dig out of you your own character as you begin to grow. And so starting to find the imperfections in myself and, and learning to coddle that and love on that and be around people that's going to love on that. But giving people grace. You know, I say all the time, black people aren't the only people messed up since slavery. You know, there is an impact of being the son or grandson or great-great-grandson of a slave master. And so when you look at our, our generation and you look at what we need to do to get past so many of these things and reach collective healing, so much of what we need to do is give one another grace. I think we need to realize that just as much as your life was hard and possibly poor, someone 
possibly had that exact same life. So just really being honest with yourself, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I saw a meme that other day on Facebook that really cracked me up. It said, now that I'm healing, I don't even know if I like anybody anymore. So it's really difficult <laughs> when you start reaching a level of self-awareness, right. Sasha, to even be around other people because you learn to be so into yourself and you learn to really give yourself grace. So I think one of the hardest things, honestly, is coming to grips with that. Some people in my eyes may not deserve grace, but... You know, being a little more gentle with what's happening with everyone. I love that you brought that up. And it, it makes me think, Amanda, <laughs> about that post-trauma life. Right. What, what does that look like? <laughs> what, what, what would you say are some of the signs that someone's healed or that you have healed yeah. or that you're making good progress toward the end of your healing journey? If there is ever an end. Right. Amanda. Yeah. And I love you adding that on the end because healing is a continuum, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know many people, many people come to, to therapy or they come to a service and, and, and immediately say, I want to be healed. Mm-hmm. Or when will this be done? <laughs> when will this be healed? Fix right. Me. And it's exactly. And it's a, it's an ongoing and an ever uh, learning process. Right. And, and I really loved what, what V mentioned a minute ago about giving others grace and also in turn giving ourselves grace. Right. And sometimes grace may mean, I recognize or maybe even I empathize the choices that you had to make in the face of trauma or in the face of difficulty. Mm -hmm. But as of now or right now, I cannot be in relationship with you or I have to place a boundary in relationship with you or this system or this community in order to protect myself or to keep myself safe, which can be really hard or really challenging, especially if we're talking in a, a family context, right, where we may have to disengage from mom or dad, or we may have to disengage from certain members of our family in order to keep ourselves safe. But that's also a part of that healing journey. It may not mean that they're gone forever, but just in the the state that you're in right now, it's actually beneficial for you to place some of those boundaries up, right? That is so tough to do. I feel like that's definitely one of those easier said than done Mm. tasks. And so much so that I think a lot of people will then decide to just learn to live with this generational trauma, V. Yeah, most people do. Most people go to sleep with it and they wake up with it and they're fine with it. And how, do you, how do you put boundaries up against your mom, your goodness, dad? You know, so grandma. much trauma in our generation is really, and I talk about this in the book, Hood Healing, so much of our trauma, Sasha, really is from our family. We don't like to admit that because they are the people that we love the most. But some of our trauma is from our parents being traumatized and their parents being traumatized. I don't always know if the, the cut it off is the answer. The generation of mine love to cut things off. We are a council mm-hmm. culture. But I do think that if you are that one person in your family and you know you're that one person that can really spark conversations to really make things better, then do that. But don't kill yourself in doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, you owe yourself. And part of giving people grace is walking the hell away sometimes. That's really taking care of yourself. And I, also, when you ask what's one of the hardest things in this, it's letting people go. Everybody can't come with you. As you learn to heal, you have to let people go, leave them where they were, and move on. And you have to know when to leave. Leave the party, leave Ooh. the job, leave the man, leave the woman. Oh, baby, you have to know when to leave. And so some of our trauma, we we have to admit some of it is just because you're making the wrong decisions. But, yeah, you have to understand that there are so many levels to it. And I love that she said you're it never completely healed. It takes so much strength, oh, yeah. Amanda. I mean, the, the pain can be turned into something positive, it sounds like, mm-hmm. uh, like generational strength and, and resilience. Is that what I'm hearing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, just 
our voices here today. And, you know, I don't want to assume, right, that, you know, you we've all been through, you know, really traumatic things. But I can I can guess and have a sense that we may have some shared or, or collective experiences just being here in America and maybe even here in Chicago. But the fact that we're still here. And the facts that we are curious now about these conversations, the facts that that more conversations are happening speaks to that strength. Right. The the part about trauma that we talked a little bit about uh, earlier, right, about our brain changing and our body changing, that's actually our body's way of trying to adapt to the environment that we're in. So actually, there is a source of strength in that, Mm -hmm. that we're trying to do the best that we can in the environments that we in, we're in and what we have available to us. Mm-hmm. But also that next level or that next level of healing that we're talking about now, having these open and honest dialogues, writing, right, or, or uh, reporting, um, as V talked about, reporting on the difficulties or the traumas that certain communities face. Mm-hmm. That is also another yeah. component and a really important component to this. Well, we're just about out of time, but, but V, I want you to leave our listeners with something that can take us to church, uh, something that can <laughs> empower them in their own healing journeys. Uh, give them one thing that you want for folks to come away from the conversation with a piece of advice that just brings us one step closer to thriving over trauma, over adversity. Absolutely. I think something that people need to know, especially in the black culture is you ain't alone. You're not the only one, right? I think when we, Think about shameful things that happen within our family, incest, molestation, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. You're shamed by those things, and you can't reach a level of healing, Sasha, if you can't talk about these things. Yeah, You know, I hear therapists and clinical people say all the time, you have to get to a level of admitting, and a lot of people aren't there. So first of all, be honest with yourself. With the first you step are. is admitting. You have got to admit that my family is jacked up, all right? My mama did the best she could, but it wasn't that great, right? Start admitting those things and forgiving, yeah. you know? Don't hold on to those those things it will impact your children 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 let it go we'll leave it there vl harrison's the author of the book hood healing interviews with some of chicago's most prolific voices in media and black culture and amanda senor a licensed clinical counselor and manager of community engagement for russia's division of community behavioral health thank you both so much This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason and edited by Ethan Schwab and Meha Ahmed. You can catch other conversations on our show at wbez.org slash reset. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter as well. That'll do it for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.